0: If you have your Bibles, why don't you open with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 is where we're going to be today. And we're looking at this issue. We're in this series called uh, Grace at Work. And and today I want to talk to you about a subject that I'm pretty passionate about, is this issue of transforming grace. Uh, What does it mean to be transformed? What does it mean for a body, a community, a group of people, believers, uh, to offer to others this issue of transforming grace? grace that is transformational grace to where it, it changes lives like like we've seen in, in our church and we've seen for over the last 20 years. And so uh, so I want to talk to you about that subject. I, w- I want to also tell you about a moment that happened with me in life journaling. I was life journaling like like many of you do, and I was life journaling and came to Mark chapter 8. It was a few days ago when we were in Mark chapter 8, and so I come to Mark chapter 8, and Mark chapter 8, verse 33, uh, um, Jesus well, here's the verse. Let me just read the verse. So here, here's the verse that just meant so much to me that day. Uh, but turning to his disciples, so this is Jesus, uh, he rebuked Peter and said, uh, Get behind me, Satan. And then he makes this statement that it just caused me just to think about so much and ponder and pray about. And, and, and then he says, he says, He says, You have set, um, for you are setting your mind on the things, you're not, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And so that just, that just calls me in the observation, that just calls me in that time to say, you know, in my life, am I setting my mind on the things of God or, or, or I'm setting my mind on the things of man? And then I began to realize that, that depending on where you set your mind, depending on where you place your mind, uh, a, wrong, a wrong view of God leads to a wrong view of discipleship. A wrong view of God leads to a wrong view of what church looks like. Uh, a wrong view of God uh, when you set your mind, not on the gospel, but when you set your mind on the, the things of man, that everything gets messed up. And so I begin asking myself, has my mind drifted? Um, after planning Fellowship of the Rockies and 20 years of ministry, do I, do I still have the same burn? Do I still have the same desire to see people transformed and, and people come to faith in Christ and, and lives changed and families changed and, and all of those things to where do I have the, still have the same compassion? Because, listen, compassion is passion and action. Compassion is just not something you feel. Compassion is something that, yes, you feel, but you do something about that. And so this picture of just transformational, this transforming grace is just so important to me because the danger is that you and I can be Christians for so long that we forget what it was like to live without Christ. That we forget what it was like to live a life of, of, of no joy, of no peace, of no forgiveness. fact is what, what First, uh, First Thessalonians 4.13 tells us, that when we were without Christ, we had like no hope. We were hopeless. And if you and I are not careful, we can forget what it was like before we met Christ. And so as a church and as individuals, we should never lose sight of that. And we should never lose sight of that we are here by this transforming grace of what God has done in our life. And then we offer it to others. And and as a result of that, a community should be transformed as well. That we exist just to connect people with God and then to connect people to people. And then people to ministry and people to missions as we, as we change Pueblo and we change what this city looks like. And we never lose sight of this issue, of just this passion or this compassion that God has given us. Now today I want to I talk to you about what I think was a church service. Uh, John chapter 8, we're going to read it, verses 1 through 11. And then we're going to walk through this and we're just going to walk through some of the dangers of some of the killers of transforming grace and so here's what the scripture says Um, here's what the here's what the scripture says uh, starting in John chapter 8 verse 1 it said but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning he came again to the temple and all all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them and so now we realize that this, this is like a church service and we realized that Jesus came often to the temple, and, uh, and, then, and then, then people came. I mean, wouldn't you like to be at a church like that, to where someone stands up and say, hey guys, today we've got a guest preacher. What's his name? Jesus. Jesus is going to be preaching today. I mean, wouldn't you like to be a part of a church like that, where Jesus just actually shows up and, and, and begins to preach and begins to teach us what is happening? And he sat down and he taught them, and then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and that's really important. The tense of that is just really important. And in placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? And they said this, they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And so Jesus bent down and, and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, and let let me just tell you this, this may be the most misquoted verse, this next verse I'm going to read, and we're going to understand the context, and I I hope it just speaks deep into your soul when Jesus said this. And so Jesus said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And so Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she looked at him and said, no one, Lord. She accepted him at that moment, capital L. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. I want to talk to you about this issue of transformational growth and what does transforming grace or transformational grace and what does transforming grace look like. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 tells us Tells us, tells us this, it, it tells us do not become conformed to this world but be transformed. In other words, that word transformed means to be changed from the inside out, not the outside in. To be, to be changed. And by the renewal of your mind, in other words, setting your mind on the things of God and not setting your mind on the things of man. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and and perfect to where, to where, to where we're really changed. To where We're really transformed and we're transformed from the inside out to where all of a sudden everything changes in our life to where we we don't just do the things that Jesus would have done, but but we find ourselves wanting to do those things. See, our whole motivation changes. Our whole motivation changes because now we're not just trying to do some religious things uh, to get his approval or to get his acceptance. But all of a sudden, we've been changed on the inside. And as a result of that, our desires have totally and completely changed as a result of that. Now, today, I want to talk to you about this issue of, of transforming grace. And 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 then then one of the killers, and I want to talk to you about this issue of legalism and what happens when legalism or legalistic people creep their way into a church. And and I just want to tell you up front that I am so thankful to be at Fellowship of the Rockies where this does not exist, to where it's not a legalistic mentality, because legalism will kill a local church. Legalism will kill this transforming grace that happens in an individual's life. And so I'm so thankful to be a part of Fellowship of the Rockies and the number of people that we've come to see come to faith in Christ and their lives have been changed and their families have been changed. But also, from time to time, we need to have a discussion about this issue just so we're aware about this legalism or we're aware about this legalistic mentality. When we first came to, to Pueblo, legalism was running rampant in this community, in the church community. And we have story after story of what happened to people, the hurt and the pain that it caused people when, when legalistic people hurt them. So I want to give you three principles that we need to remember about this issue of legalism. And and so I took it from the from the from the position of, of legalism to 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 warn us or to look to. But also in your notes, you can write the 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 contrast, the grace contrast, which will have a grace statement as well so that you understand the difference between legalism and grace so that we can understand transforming grace. So three things to remember. The first one is this. Legalism looks for what is wrong. A legalistic person, legalism always looks for, for what is wrong. But the opposite is true of grace. Yes, legalism looks for what is wrong, but grace looks for what is right. Legalism is always looking for what is wrong. In other words, legalism always has external boundary markers or external things that they have developed to to they hold people accountable to. And many times it's not based upon Scripture. In other words, this, every church should be able to hang a sign in front of their building, in front of their church, that says, everyone welcomed, right? And really mean it. Sometimes I wonder, you know, Karen and I, I've, I've told you guys this, but but sometimes I, I, I really, uh, Car- Sometimes Karen and I, we pass by uh, church marquee signs and church signs, and, and we, we have a library of them. We keep some of them. We think some of them are, are funny. And, and, uh, and so, I, just, so I, I, I begin to think the most powerful man or woman in the local church may be the person that gets to hang ladder- letters on the sign in front of the church. And sometimes I wonder why would they ever put that there? But everybody, every church should be able to put everyone welcome and like truly mean it, but uh, just real quickly, since since you guys got me off on this church sign stuff. <laughs> a few years ago, about about ten years ago, there there was a church that in that in our community that had that put some letters up on their church sign, and uh, I can't tell you which church it is because I don't want another email from them. Uh, but uh, they're like down on the boulevard next to Village Inn, and so uh, <laughs> and so. <laughs> And so, they, they, so I'm driving by and they got this church sign. And the church sign said, G, the quote, Jesus said a woman must remain silent in church. They put that on the sign. And you know what? First thought I had, Jesus didn't say that. That's the first thought I had. But who's getting biblical now? And so, uh, uh, so that's the first thought I had. So I called Karen real quickly. I saw that and I said, hey, Karen. You see what's on the church sign? She says, I saw that. I said, yeah, next time me and you have a discussion, we're going to run down to the church. (laughs) And so every church, you know what? Every church should be able to put on their sign that everybody is welcome and like really mean it. Listen, grace and acceptance in your hearts is what makes Fellowship of the Rockies a great church is one of the reasons why we've seen so much transformation happen in the lives of people, because the church is not like this showcase for saints. I mean, it's, it's a hospital for, for, for sinners, and, and we should be able as a church to say everybody's welcome and mean it, and we do, and we should understand that guess what? I and mean, People should be able to come into this church and meet Christ and accept him and have their lives totally transformed, and so you have this Church service, so to speak, where Jesus is his guest speaker. But there's some dynamics going on that are just deadly to a church because legalism will kill a church. Legalism will not only kill a church, but it it hurts people. And so verse 3, watch this. So verse 3, it says, The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst of the service. Let me just let me just talk to you just real quickly about legalism and legalistic people. They always want to put someone on display for their sins, or what they think are their sins. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. It's happened to me. I never will forget. We uh, we, had, we had planted Fellowship the Rockies. We had been here for about a year, and uh, we were getting a lot of criticism from the area churches because we. We didn't have hymnals. We never bought a hymnal. We never used a hymnal. uh, We didn't sing out of hymnals, and we didn't. And and we put the words up on the screen. So they invite me to like a pastors' conference. They had they had a group of pastors at this time. They had a group of pastors that were pueblo pastors, surrounding area pastors, and they all came together. And once a quarter, they do like a worship service. And so since we were the new church in town, they called and said, "Hey, would you like to be our guest preacher?" And so I said, awesome, because, you know, I'm new to, new to the community. I'd, I'd love to get to know some of you guys. Awesome. I'm in. And so I came, and I'm sitting on the front row. The worship leader gets up, and the worship leader actually says this. The worship leader calls me out in front of everybody. And so the worship leader looks over at me and says, hey, Pastor Charlie, we're glad you're here this, uh, this morning uh, to speak to us. We're looking forward to hearing you speak. And, Pastor Charlie, we just need to tell you we still believe in the hymnal, and we still sing out of the hymnal. So in a few minutes in worship, we're going to ask you to stand along with us and to open in your hymnal, that's the book in the, in the, in the pew rack in front of you, uh, and grab that and sing with us. Man, I was angry. I hon- you want know, you know me to tell you what I honestly felt like doing? Just walking out. That's what I wanted to do. I was embarrassed. I was angry. I mean, I wanted to walk out. Instead, I just changed my sermon to 10 Reasons Why You're Going to Hell. And so <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that what legalism does to you, right? When someone judges you, when someone puts you on display for your sins or, or, their, or, or their view of your sins or whatever... Doesn't that kind of make you want to rebel? Doesn't it make you angry? Listen, legalism is a mindset, and it's an attitude. Legalism is an attitude that overlooks the spirit. Legalism always looks to the law, but you know what? Grace looks to love. Legalism looks to this issue of how much do I have to do? And grace is the opposite because we've been changed. We've been transformed. How much do I get to do? Legalism looks at this issue of how much do I have to give? Grace, totally opposite, because it's not external. It's internal. It's changing from that inside out. And grace says, how much do I get to give? How much do I get to serve him? See, legalism is this tough, hard attitude. It gives no grace. It shows no tolerance. It shows no mercy. It cuts no one any slack. And and in a church, it is deadly. It is a killer because legalism only focuses on the externals. And they become the biblical, what they think the biblical authority of some non-biblical issues. And I know that's contradictory in terms. But these guys, these Pharisees, they had the Ten Commandments. You know what they did? They developed the Talmud. The Talmud was a book of of commandments that they added to the Ten Commandments. And when they were done, there were 617 commandments. Their law. Their externals. That's why when Jesus, Jesus would ask. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Sum up the law for us. Jesus said, That's easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Oh, and while you're at it, love your neighbor as yourself. What good is our Christianity if it's not causing us to love people more? What good is our Christianity if it's not causing us to love a community more? What good is our Christianity if it's not causing us to love people who are far away from God, who have no hope, who have no forgiveness, to love them more? In this issue of legalism, legalism is always looking for what is wrong, and I'm emphasizing looking. They're always looking for what is wrong. Verse 2, watch this. Early in the morning he came again, so, so Jesus came often. He came often to preach there, and he went to the temple. So this is like, I'm telling you, this is like a church service. So don't put yourself over the story. Put yourself in the story. Put yourself sitting in the congregation. So watch this. And all the people came to him. You know what's happening? That church was growing. When there is transforming grace offered, when there is grace offered, a church will grow. When there's judgment, when there's legalism, it always kills a church. And so all the people came to him and sat down. And so when a rabbi, when a teacher would, would sit down, in their culture, that was a position of, a, of authority. And so they knew at that time that that's, that's like the sermon. And he talked to them. Here's the interesting thing the scripture says, and they came to him very early in the morning. In the morning, I'm telling you, this issue of legalism is aggressive and they're always looking and they're always watching for something that is wrong so they can cut, condemn, or criticize because their boundary markers are external when Jesus focused on the center of the spiritual life, the heart, and so. So it says, when it was early in the morning, they came to Jesus, in verse 4. And they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, can you imagine that? That would be awkward in a church service, right? (laughs) I mean, can you imagine the preacher preaching? And you're in the midst of the servant, and all of a sudden, you're in the midst of the sermon, and all of a sudden, of the, of the of a sudden 70 guys, because that's how many Pharisees there were, in long robes, they come in and they march a lady that basically is very early in the morning, that they basically march from the, the bedroom to the church, wrapped up in a bedsheet at best, and they bring her in put her on the platform and say this woman was caught in adultery? I mean, that, that would be a service that you'd be glad your kids are in the kids' ministry, right? <laughs> Can you imagine? Imagine how awkward, how awkward that would be. They didn't care about this woman. They didn't care about Jesus. This was a setup. This was a trap. See, legalism works from this I got you mentality. Legalism walks from this, comes from this mentality that I'll get you. Verse 6. And so they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. Listen, legalists are always looking for someone to accuse. Legalists are always looking for someone to justify their actions. Listen, let me just tell you something. With legalistic people, You cannot win. I used to wear myself out early in ministry trying to to win with legalistic people, thinking we could just have a conversation. But with legalistic people, you cannot win. Legalism is devastating to a church, and it's devastating to a people, a group. I mean, they they didn't care about this woman. They didn't care how it embarrass her or hurt her. They were using her. And you cannot win with legalistic people because they have their own standard. Even when you have conversations with them and you both agree that it wasn't a sin issue, they'll always def- def- default back to this issue. Yeah, it may not have been sin, but I just didn't like the way you did it. I'm telling you about this issue of legalism. When, ch- when legalism is in a church, it will kill a church. When there's transforming grace, the church always grows. And when you look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, You never see him forcing someone to change until they came to him. And he forgave her. He saved her. He changed her. And then he told her to go and live a different life, to go and like sin no more. And yes, change sometimes comes slow, but grace is always looking for what is right. Legalism is always looking for what is wrong. Grace Grace is this. You know what Jesus' first thought with her was, how can I set her free? How can I help her? How can I minister to her? Legalism is this, how can I get you? Legalism will always vote guilty over not guilty. Legalism will always vote death over life, judgment over tolerance, stoning over forgiveness. This issue of legalism, when it creeps its way into a ministry and creeps its way into church, always hurts a church and hurts people. The second thing that we have to remember about legalism is this, legalism looks to set standards for others. Legalism looks to set standards for others that they themselves cannot keep. Legalistic people hold people up to standards that they themselves cannot keep in private. See, grace is the opposite. Grace looks to a relationship with Jesus Christ. But this group of people, this group of men, the Pharisees, they were mad at this woman who was caught in adultery. They set a trap for her. They got her. She had broken the law, and so they felt like they got her. And so, let me ask you a question, just so we're tracking. How do you, how do you catch a woman at adultery? At five or six o'clock in the morning, it was, the scripture says it's early in the morning, um, I mean. These things aren't done in public, right? They're done in private. So do they, they like, go knocking on her door and just, like, ask her? No, they knew who she was. How? Because the man, one of the men that she had been with was one of their own. Why Why don't you hear a word about the man? I mean, it takes two to tango, right? I mean, this is a sin that is committed by two people. And there's, like, not a word about him. And you don't hear a word about him because he is one of their own. Listen, let me tell you something. Legalistic people will protect their own, even when they're wrong, even when they're sins. Legalistic people set standards for others that they themselves cannot meet. And listen watch this, well let's just keep reading, watch this, verse 7 as they continue to ask him he, Jesus, he stood up and said to him, so here's the statement, the statement's so important let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her, now this verse is so often taken out of context in conversation, like someone confronts someone and someone says hey I think you did this wrong or there's sin in your life, whatever a lot of times people say, oh, wait a minute. Ye who is without sin cast the first, sin, cast the first stone. In other words, you've got to be without sin. You've got to be perfect before you can accuse me of anything. Uh, so you can't accuse me of anything, right? And so what a lot of people think is what Jesus was saying, unless you're perfect, unless, unless you're perfect, cast the first stone. That's not what Jesus was saying in their context. Jesus references the law. The Pharisees understood the law. They got the law. So Jesus referenced the the, the law. Uh, Deuteronomy uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, Deuteronomy chapter 13, and Leviticus chapter 24. And Jesus referenced the law, and and here's the law. Here's what the law said. The law stated that the witness of a crime must be the first one to throw the first stone, but they must not be participants in the crime itself jesus wasn't saying they had to be perfect jesus referenced the law you know what jesus was doing jesus is calling out their double standard that's what he's doing hey guys remember the law you want a stoner as long as you haven't participated in this cra- in this sin As long as you haven't participated in this, you throw the first stop. Jesus was never saying that you have to be perfect. He was just calling out their double standard. Legalists only care about a Facebook Christianity as far as how their life appears. We're blessed. We're godly. They quote scripture and all. When in reality, they may be living a totally different life, and usually legalists are very insecure people. They're very insecure in who they are, and they're trying to seek the approval of others and seek the approval of God by trying to keep some rules and regulations and some standards that God himself didn't even set. Legalists always look for security in a, in a crowd. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but legalists will always travel in packs. Why, why didn't just one of them come? Why did it take 70? Why did it take the whole group? See, legalists are insecure people, and legalists always need a... They they run in packs. They run in groups. Whenever they get upset at a church, whenever they get upset at a ministry, whenever they get upset at at, at an individual, then all of a sudden they create this group, they create this pack, and they don't... Listen, they don't care about people. Legalistic people always criticize other people. Listen, when when someone is a constant critic, I'm just telling you, when someone is a constant critic, when, when Joe tells you about Phil, it says more about Joe than it says about Phil. Legalistic people, and these men, they didn't care about the lady. They didn't care about her being forgiven, set free. The third and the last thing that we need to remember is this. Legalism looks at what has been. Legalism looks at what has been. So legalism looks at what has been, but, but grace, transforming grace, looks at, at what can be. I mean, these men, when they looked at the woman, they looked at what she did. But Jesus saw her totally differently. Jesus saw her about what she could become. And that's why Jesus told her, you're forgiven, and, and I do not condemn you, and just go and sin no more. And so legalistic people, legalism is this. Legalism is always digging up the past. Legalistic people is always keeping people's past sins in front of them saying things, you know, you know she's divorced. You know, you know he, you know he's been in jail. You you know, just want to remind you, you know they've had an addiction. You know they've had some serious problems in their life in the past. Listen, legalistic people never care about people. They only care about their agenda. These men didn't care if she met Jesus. They, these men didn't care if she was forgiven. These men didn't care if her life was changed. I mean, they judged her and they hurt her. Transforming grace starts. I mean, transforming grace starts with the heart. Legalism normally has good theology but a bad spirit. But grace, grace has a good theology. It understands the gospel with a with a good spirit. And Jesus has a cure for legalism, and that's that's His word. I mean, watch this verse. Verse 7, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to him, to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. Everybody wants to know, what did he write on the ground, right? It's crazy. I mean, everybody wants to know, did he write the Ten Commandments? Did he write the men's name that had been with her? Uh, Was he just doodling? I mean, what was he doing? Every, you know what? It doesn't matter. If it hadn't mattered what he wrote in the ground, he would have told us. What matters is what Jesus said, not what he wrote in the ground. And so he goes on and he says, and once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, in other words, when they heard what he said, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. Why? Because the older ones are wiser than the younger ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And so Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, and she says, no one, Lord, capital L. She accepts Christ right there. Now we got a church service. That's church right there. People come in and feel guilty, and they have come in and they feel condemned, and they may feel like that God condemns them. They realize that God offers, offers them transforming grace and forgiveness. And so Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. From now on, change your life. Now I'm telling you, when you truly see your sin, you don't go around pointing out the sin of others. Because you understand tr- transforming grace. You understand what God has forgiven you for, which changes everything and the picture of transforming grace the picture of what he offers us is in the picture of communion or the lord's supper and so our ushers and servers are going to make their way to the back as they prepare the elements as we get ready to take of the lord's supper together as a church family and this this is a reminder to us this is a picture to us of this issue of just transforming grace that he offers us Apostle Paul said in in Corinthians that the way that the believer, the way that the local church should handle this time is that we should do this as a a church and as a a family. And the scripture talks and the scripture teaches that before we take of the bread and before we take of the juice, that we should examine our own life. Not our neighbor's life, not somebody else's life, but we we should examine our life. And the scripture even says that that if you take of the bread and you take of the juice in an unworthy manner, that it will hurt the the body of Christ, that it will hurt the church. And then he goes on and says that you should examine yourself and your life. And so what he's asking you to do before you take of the bread and before you take of the juice is examining your life. And say, am I living a life in such a way that is offering grace to others? Do I understand what it means, this transforming grace, that how I talk to others, how I treat others, is important? Am I falling more and more in love with God and people as I grow in Christ? So we just want to invite you that as the elements are being passed out, that you take the bread and you take the juice and you just hold them there in place. And then in just a few minutes, we'll take of the bread and we'll take of the juice together as a church family. the the picture of the transforming grace that God has offered to every one of us that that we have when we're in Christ and Paul when he was given instructions to the church he gave the church these instructions that when you take of the bread and you take of the juice and he, he writes these words and he says for I received from the Lord what also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this. Just do this in, in remembrance of me. And we remember Maybe you can remember back, I can. Maybe you can remember back to a church service when you walked in and you kind of felt guilty or you felt condemned. And then you accepted this transforming grace. And you realized God said to you the same as he said to this woman, I don't condemn you. The fact is I forgive you. Now just go and, and sin no more. Just change your life with me. We are thankful for his sacrifice so that we can be in right standing with the Father. Before we take of the bread, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for your love, and Father, we thank you for your, just for grace. May we understand what it means to be forgiven. May we understand what it means to set our mind on the things of God and not on the things of man. May we invite and may we offer this transforming grace to others. So, Father, we thank you as we take of the bread that it's symbolic of your body. thank you for the relationship that we can have with you for we ask these things in Jesus name Amen would you take with me please scripture goes on and says in the same way also Jesus took the cup and after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you as you drink it in remembrance of me and so this day we remember that the scripture says without the shedding of his blood there could be no forgiveness of sin and so we remember this day that in Christ we're totally and completely forgiven we are deeply loved we're in Christ we are perfect and, complete. and as a result of that, we've been transformed from the inside out, which changes everything about our life. Before we take of the juice, let's pray. Father, we thank you for forgiveness of sin. And Father, we thank you that we have been transformed. And Father, we thank you that we are growing and maturing and developing in you. And Father, may we live a life as people who know that they have been forgiven. And may they give us joy, may they give us freedom, may they give us peace. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you take with me, please? Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let me just ask you, what is God saying to you? as a result of his word, as a result of this message. Maybe you just need to come to that place to where you just accept him and understand the forgiveness and the transforming grace that he offers you. Every one of us has a next step. fact is, this woman in John chapter 8, she had a next step. So every one of us in this room, we have a next step. What is your next step? What is God asking you to do? Maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, you know, I I just need prayer. I just need someone to pray for me. We'd like to minister to you. We'd like to pray for you. So if you need prayer in any area of your life in just a few moments, after I pray, we're going to stand. And when we stand, that if you need prayer in any area of your life as you stand up with with everybody else, I'm just going to invite you as you stand up, would you step out and into the aisles and begin making your way down to the front? You don't, have to be, you don't have to walk along. People be walking with you. You don't have to be embarrassed that you need prayer. Every one of us needs prayer. Apostle Paul asked for prayer. I need prayer. Every one of us in this room, we need prayer. This just may be a season of your life that you just need to respond to this, and you need to have someone pray into your life that gives you encouragement and support and comfort So if you need prayer in any area of your life, I'm just going to invite you after I pray and we stand for you to just make your way to the front. Father, we we just tell you how much we love you. And Father, we just thank you that your word teaches us that you not only hear our prayers, but you respond to our prayers. And so Father, now as we minister one to another, Father, we just ask that you pull this church very close to you. And people would understand that this is a safe place. There's there's no barriers in this room. And that people would respond to you. And that people would find strength and encouragement and comfort and healing in their life. So, Father, we just look forward to see what you're going to do in this moment. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.